I'm just too real. What? What? Wait, what? <laughs> There's no sugarcoating. It's just the truth. You are listening to the Archaeology Podcast Network. The Archaeology Podcast Network is sponsored by Codify, a California benefit corporation. Visit Codify at www.codifi.com. And welcome to the CRM Archaeology Podcast, episode 109 for April 26th, 2017. I'm your host, Chris Webster. On today's show, we answer another listener question and we try to tell you, hey, it'll all be okay. So dust off your CV because the season of awesome is about to start and because the CRM Archaeology Podcast starts right now. All right, welcome to the show, everyone. Joining me today are Doug in Scotland. Hey. Stephen in Calgary. Hello. Sonia in Utah. Hello. And Bill in Arizona. Good morning. <laughs> nice. Do your best, Mr. Rogers, on that one. Um, all right. So, you know, we've had uh, we've had some episodes lately um, between us and the, the Go Dig a Hole podcast. Uh, Chris couldn't be here today, but uh, I'm sure he'll be, he'll be listening shortly as he edits this. But... Um, We've had some episodes lately that uh, on both shows, which are both geared towards CRM. First, if you don't listen to Go Dig a Hole, it's a great kind of nuts and bolts podcast, so go check that out, um, but still focused on CRM and issues in the contract archaeology. Um, so anyway, we had some feedback at the SAAs. Um, thanks to everybody that came up to us and, and said something uh, and said hi and, and said that you like the podcast. Um, that's great. We, we always appreciate that just to know people are listening, but we've had some comments there and some comments elsewhere that said we've been a little dark lately. And I have to feel like, you know, since you guys always disagree with me, that that's really like Doug and Stephen and and maybe a little bit of Bill that are being dark. Sonia, you seem pretty optimistic, but you can be a little dark too. That's true. <laughs> I'm a fence rider. I'm blaming it all on you guys. <laughs> oh. um, that's not true. But anyway... Uh, I just wanted to uh, start this show off by going over another listener email. He actually emailed us um, after he listened to the last episode where we had, I think it was 107 or something, where we had um, some listener questions. Um, questions from one listener, actually, that Bill and Chris and I um, tackled. So um, go take a look at that. We'll put it in the show notes. Because it had some some really good stuff. The reason I like going over these emails on the air is because you know we have... Uh, five people here, four people here that have very different opinions about things and a lot of experience. And it shows people that there isn't one way to think about something. There isn't one way to do something. There isn't an, quote, answer to your question, unquote, because your question has many different answers, typically. Um, So let's start this episode that I'm hoping to be a little more um, positive, uh, for lack of a better word, uh, but we'll see where it goes. We'll see if we uh, we'll see if we hit that. So, I'm going to start by by reading this real quick. First, he said he could, I had permission to read his email and to put his name out. But um, the gentleman's name is Matt Goldberg, and uh, let's see. I'm going to paraphrase a little bit here. He got his bachelor's degree in anthropology at Mullenberg College, um, and is getting a master's in historic preservation at Eastern Michigan. I'm not sure where Mullenberg College is. I never looked that up. Um, But anyway, right now he's getting a master's degree in historic preservation in eastern Michigan. Uh, After some time in grad school, I decided I might want to get into CRM archaeology and came to second-guess my decision on a master's program, thinking instead that an archaeology program would would better suit this career. So instead of historic preservation, he wants to do CRM archaeology and thinks he has to switch to an archaeology program to do that. We'll talk about that. 
Um, he said, however, your recent podcast on drive through schools somewhat soothed these concerns, and I feel like I'm past the point of dropping this program as it will be good enough and potentially better, according to one of you. We did mention that. Um, I'm also doing a field school this summer. and plan on working as a field tech after graduating, uh, and I think I'd like to do that with the Park Service or other government agency. I'd appreciate any advice my situation as well as the differences between government and private sector work, again, an entire podcast, um, and what the day-to-day -day work is like in CRM. So let's unpack that a little bit. Um, first, I, I'll, I'll comment real quick and say that he uh, his idea of doing field work after getting a master's, not thinking he'll be instantly some kind of manager, is exactly right on point. <laughs> and if he doesn't have any field work experience in CRM archaeology, he needs to go get that um, before he can start moving up and, and using that master's to, to get the higher positions. You need to know what you're doing. You need to understand what's going on. So, um, but anyway, um, I think we found out here that, uh, that Mullenberg College is in Pennsylvania. So uh, just so people know that. So anyway, uh, let's, let's tackle these a little bit one at a time. Um, Bill, I think I'll go to you first because he mentions his degree, uh, getting his master's in historic preservation. Let's just reiterate without really diving into it because we did talk about that in that other question show um, about historic preservation is not the worst thing to get a degree in for CRM archaeology because it's applicable to lots of different things. What do you, what do you have comments on that? Yeah, I, I absolutely agree. I mean, yeah. in my opinion, every single day, whole subdivisions across the country become historical. So if we still have the 50-year rule, you know, for the next, I don't know, foreseeable future, every day you drive through a new potentially historical uh, neighborhood. And it's really up to architectural historians to sign off on whether that is or is not historical. So having that historic preservation um, uh, degree, that really helps you because uh, it gives you a chance to be the kind of person who gets to uh, determine historicity of buildings. A lot of times they they like don't trust the archaeologists to know how to to describe the buildings, but you know a lot of times people who have historic preservation and definitely architectural history degrees, they'll defer to them, and you can become the expert at your company for historical archaeology or for uh, buildings. So I I think it's a solid degree. I mean mm -hmm. archaeology or uh, historic preservation, those are excellent degrees. But I know people who have you know. Uh, a pre-law degree or a JD or, you know, people who had medical degrees or whatever that went into CRM and they've done fine as well. Cool. Yeah. Uh, I just add a comment that, you know, I've looked at the job postings, you know, I've done papers looking at uh, all the shovel bum job postings from like 1999 to recently. Um, and I can tell you that very few job postings actually say, we want someone with an archaeology degree. Almost all of them say archaeology, anthropology, history, classics, or or my favorite is or something related. <laughs> right. Um, it's, yeah, people really aren't that specific. Um, only occasionally will someone say we want this type of degree, but usually it's you know anthropology, archaeology, or something related. If they right. even mention a topic of your degree. Um, most job efforts don't even mention that. Yeah, that's a good point. You almost never see archaeology. And it's probably because, I mean, a lot of our departments in the United States don't separate out archaeology and anthropology. And you could focus on archaeology, but your degree is a BA in anthropology. That's what mine is. So. Or history as well. Yeah, or history. Totally. Yeah. yeah. There's a couple of smaller universities that have sort of like archaeology slash history slash classics. Mm -hmm. So, you know, yeah, very few people actually have 
archaeology on their degree. So I think the point of for somebody that's in a program right now and they're looking at CRM is to get on shovel bumps, get on arc field work, look at some of these job requirements, and then start trying to see how you can fill your CV out in order to meet these job requirements. You know, if it says you, you know, have a have knowledge of this or do this thing, go try to get that so you can understand it and put it on your CV and say, you know, I have these I have these qualifications um, and see if that's, uh, you know, just to, just to improve your chances of, of doing something like that. Um, all right. So, uh, you know, let's talk about a little bit his, uh, further down the line in his email here. He talks about doing summer field work with the park service or other government agency. Um, let's talk about that real quick. I think, yeah, he should actually start now uh, yeah. looking at his, you know, his letter. He said he already had a undergraduate degree for um, in anthropology. Mm-hmm. And so if he's even though he's working on a master's this summer, um, unless he's, you know, I said he's going to do a field school or something like that. Maybe that is his first field school, but I imagine he probably already has one. Mm-hmm. Um, you really only need one field school. Start trying to get work over the summer. That's yeah. my recommendation. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, if he's already got a, a BA, he can actually work as a field tech now. Um, it doesn't say how long he has left in his master's. I don't know if this is if he's graduating now and this is his first summer and he's going to do a field school and then work, or if he's got another year coming up working on the master's. So, um, but, uh, any other comments on this before we work on some of the park service government agency stuff? Well, my, my only question is, does he actually have, uh, the job in hand or is he just thinking about applying now for government jobs? Uh, because, uh, I never really have worked for the government because every Mm -hmm. time I apply for the government, it takes you know ten months for them to respond <laughs> back. So I yeah. I don't know how to get a government job, um, and I I never have before. However, I know how to get cultural resource jobs because you can just talk to the person who's hiring yeah. and convince them to hire you. So uh, if he's if he has a um, a government job on hand, that's awesome. Yeah, it looks like he doesn't it. because if he doesn't, then he might be better off. Well, I mean, still apply for the government job. Don't let that hold you back. Mm-hmm. That it takes a while to get those jobs, especially now they're more motivated to hire for the summer. So it may take only a few weeks. However, uh, I do think that you should think about going for CRM too, because that's a much more immediate response. And the yeah. other thing I learned, the other thing I learned recently is, uh, I can't remember who told me it was someone who works for the Forest Service or the BLM, but they said that it's best for you to apply as soon as you see the job posting for a government job because they just start going through the, the CVs from the, the soonest submitted to the le- latest submitted. Mm-hmm. So they, could, they don't have to look at all 500 applicants. They just start at the person who submitted at 12.01 a.m. and go till they find some people. So they may never even get to the other one. So if you wait till the end of the deadline, which this is probably why I never got the government jobs, if you wait till the very end, they're never going to get to you. So you want to be the very quickest to submit your CV. Well, it's also, and you know, I've heard this before as well. You know, you go on USA Jobs, you apply for the job, and and first off, a lot of these show up on Arc Fieldwork. She's really good at um, Jennifer's really good about getting all the the government stuff in there. So definitely check that out, archaeologyfieldwork.com. But the thing that I've heard, and again, this is kind of anecdotal. I've never talked to a government official about this, but is that a lot of people apply year after year that, that have done the job before. Like if it's a seasonal position with a park service or, or other agency, then people apply year after year for this thing. And they're required by law to put the position up available on the internet. 
but they may already have their people selected. Like 500 people could apply, but the 20 people that worked there last year seem like they're more likely to get the job. Um, and they're not even going to look at the other applications because they just had to go through the work and apply because you can't not do that. It's government work. So, so if you don't get the position first thing, you know, there, it, there might be 20 spots available for the seasonal work, but in reality there's two because 18 are returning from last year. So, you know, you're really competing for those handful of spots and, and uh, so don't feel disheartened if you don't get that, but do it, you know, apply for those, get your USA jobs application rolling because it could take a while to get that in. And then um, in the meantime, look at all Bill's resources, email Bill and get a job in CRM because that's way easier. Um, you know, there's, it's just, if you know what you're doing and you follow all the steps, you can probably be working in that this summer. Yeah. Um, just actually, sorry, a couple of comments. Um, one is he, I know this episode's not going to go out until the end of April. And at that point, it's probably too late. Um, most of the temporary government jobs um, pretty much start advertising January, February, March. Um, mm -hmm. I mean, there'll still be some that come up. Definitely apply. But really, you need to start thinking about, and this is for anyone um, listening to this podcast, you need to be start thinking er, you know, late winter, early spring. Yeah. And that's when you need to apply for any of the temporary jobs. Um, and then also... There's a point-based system, and you can look this up. Um, it's all, you know, it's on the Office of Personal Management, I think is what it's called. Um, but you get certain points, um, and so you get a point for being a veteran, or not not just a point, I forget what the points are, but you get points for right. being a veteran. You also get points for having previously had um, a government job, so that is not... It's actually, you know, when people are returning, they have a much easier chance of getting it than someone who is starting out just by the points they give you to your application. Um, and then my last comment is, uh, this is being pedantic, but that is CRM as well. Um, what the government does is cultural resource management. Um, you could say private sector, but uh, <laughs> I, I would not say, I would not make the distinguished distinguishment that um what people do in the government is different in terms of and call it something other than crm that's a good point but that's just me that's a good point it is all it is all crm it's just a different person you're working for a different company yeah and, and to follow up with what doug was just saying that uh you know if he's applying for a, a seasonal field tech position the the realities of the job are going to be very similar to being a field tech anywhere else mm-hmm uh, you know, especially it'd be similar to working for a particularly large firm where there's a lot of bureaucracy, which can happen with, you know, uh, private uh, private sector A&E firms mm -hmm. uh, plenty of times. Um, but uh, another piece of advice is get to know the uh, government uh, sector archaeologists um, mm -hmm. and, and talk to them and, and find out, you know, and, and say that, you know, I'm really interested in working for forest service or park service or something like that, you know, what do I need to do to get my foot in the door? Um, and, and, you know, going beyond that, you know, it's, it, it would be a very worthwhile thing to um, discuss what it's like working it, you know, in the government, uh, the government setting. Yeah, absolutely. Um, there's also other government settings too. Like uh, he said, park service, there's, there's also state parks. There's fewer jobs available, but they may have some, seasonal work at the larger um the larger parks and things like that so um you know definitely definitely take a look at that um in the last couple of minutes here before we we'll, we'll take his last question on you know day-to-day -day work is like in crm 
um, in the next segment. But, you know, if anybody has any bigger high level differences between government and private sector work, I'd I'd say from what I know is that the government stuff will generally be longer term because it is seasonal. You know, they'll hire people for the summer or something like that, whereas private sector work will be two weeks, a month, two months, could be the whole summer, but it's more likely a shorter term project. And you'll have to move around more. But if you manage to secure that government job, regardless of where it is, you're probably going to have it for longer, probably the season. But it's still contract based too. Like you're not, you're not likely getting a job, you know, that's that's quote full time. Uh, but even those are sometimes annual contracts that get renewed every year. So you know that's just kind of the way that goes. And if you work for the park service, you may have to wear a uniform. So do you look in green? Is really the question. I don't know. <laughs> Private sector job is, uh, I mean, everybody's focused on time and money, time and money, time yeah. and money. So we can say that's pretty much the same between the feds and the and the private sector. Um, just be aware that in the private sector, there's going to be a lot of focus on time and money. And uh, the amount of time that you may be able to spend on an archaeological site as, uh, say, a federal worker might not be the same as when you're a private sector worker. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's just... I mean, time is money, and uh, when you're when you're uh, um, working as a private contractor, you're limited by a budget. And in most cases, for federal jobs, many I should say not most many cases on federal jobs, there once the money runs out, there's no more money. They don't get contract modifications. So, I mean, this is kind of more of the business aspect of of working for CRM uh, in a private sector rather than the feds. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but just keep that in mind. Um, dorking around in the field is fun and all, um, but keep it to a minimum, especially mm-hmm. when you've got a deadline. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, well, that sounds like a good place to end the first segment, and uh, we'll be back in 30 seconds for the next one. See you in a minute. Let's face it. The quality of archaeological field photography could really use some improvement. We aim to change this with the Codify Magic Photo Board. This lightweight but incredibly durable board is designed to help you take color-perfect photos of artifacts, features, and sites using almost any camera, even your smartphone. You need to see it to believe it. Engineered from exceptional quality, color-safe, high-pressure laminate, Codify Magic Photo Board is ready for tough field conditions. It's guaranteed to level up your photography. Start taking publication-worthy photos right in the field with the Codify Magic Photo Board. Available now for pre-order, visit codify.com slash APN. That's codifi.com forward slash APN today and get your promo code exclusively for listeners of the Archaeology Podcast Network. All right, we're back, and we're going to tackle the last part of uh, the question from Matt, uh, which is what is day-to-day work like? in uh in crm i think um i think we're all going to have different answers on that <laughs> because because that's how crm works um and steven i think you just volunteered to go first what's day-to-day work like in crm uh <laughs> you, you show up you go dig holes that's another podcast and then you go home um yeah i I really don't know how to answer that because uh, that's heavily dependent upon um, your uh, place you work and the type of project you're working on. And, um, you know, uh, some, yeah. some of the, you know, regular type types of things that ex- expect to spend long periods away from home. 
uh, living out of hotels mm-hmm. and eating, you know, restaurant food and, and maybe, uh, you know, tailgate lunches. Gas station um, burritos. Yeah. Yeah. Leave yeah. them on the dash, let them heat up. <laughs> yeah. And, and yeah, you know, and, and it's going to be you and your three closest uh, coworkers for long periods of time. Mm-hmm. So just to follow up on what Stephen was just saying, um, but more again, because I'm the business lady, um, the type of day that you're going to have is going to depend on the type of job that you have and the position that you hold in the company and then the size of the company. Um, if you're field teching, there's a damn good chance that you're going to be out in the field pretty constantly. And you are going to be spending a lot of time in hotel rooms or camping or uh, eating at the quick trip, baby, <laughs> as Bill <laughs> says in the text here. Um, uh, QT. It, <laughs> the QT or the SEV, as I like to call the 7-Eleven. Yep. Nice. Gourmet. Yes, they also totally had, like, gourmet. Wawa, Wawa and Sheets back east. Legendary. Oh, Legendary meals. <laughs> uh, there's going to be a lot of that uh, when you're field tech, and it's going to be hard manual labor. Your feet are going to hurt. Your back's going to hurt. Um, but on the plus side, you're going to be enjoying life because you're going to be rolling in dough, right? Mm-hmm. Well, that also depends on where you're working. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you're working in the West, you may get paid more than if you're working in the Southeast. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, depends depends on where you're at. Um, if you're a, a more higher advanced person, and uh, Matt, I don't know if you're going to be a, a higher advanced person, you know, higher level person when you first start out, but you're probably going to be spending some time um, after hours uh, doing some work in your in your hotel room, and then back at the office writing reports. Mm-hmm. And once you get take that a step further and go into project management, you're probably going to st- spend most of your time uh, in the office, um, marketing with clients, um, things like that. So like I say, there's a lot of different types of work that you can do in CRM um, and uh, a lot of uh, a lot of it. I mean, most of it's challenging and very uh, it's you, you use your brain quite a bit, um, but you know, it really depends on the job that you have. Mm-hmm. You know, your day is going to vary. Um, sometimes you're going to be out in the field. Sometimes you're going to be in the office. I like to say when you're an early to mid-level archaeologist, you're going to, for every one day in the uh, in the field, you spend three days in the office. Yeah. I'll just talk about, well, I'll talk about my experience. Um, first of all, I didn't come to archaeology. I wasn't just, you know, come out as an archaeologist right out of school. I had to do a lot of garbage jobs to get to archaeology. So, you know, I had to deliver uh, dry cleaning laundry and dry cleaning solvents and clean bathrooms. And I had to wash dishes, push carts at uh, big big box retailers and do all kinds of stuff that sucked. And archaeology is the only job that I didn't want to quit the very first day. And mm-hmm. so uh, um, when I was a tech, uh, I, I thought it was awesome because, I mean, it was uh, – doing archaeology for real you were wake up every morning and you went out and you had the chance to find stuff or if you were working at a site you were actually already finding things and then when you were a crew chief it was awesome because well first of all you got to work with people who this was like a lot of times their first experience excuse me they were first coming out to do archaeology and so you got to figure out what they knew but also help them learn the ropes and in the meantime you find all kinds of cool stuff now, you don't find stuff all the time, so there is a lot of work where you're not going to actually find you know, archaeology, but even not finding things, I always thought that was kind of interesting because 
I always got to explore and discover a new place, even if it was some weird rural town that I'd never been before. But I also, uh, we, we also marked off a place where there was not archaeology, where either it had been destroyed or it's so deep we can't find it or we just didn't find any archaeology. And so by not finding archaeology, that helps everybody know that there really wasn't anything there that could be preserved. Mm-hmm. And working at sites where you find things, I mean, all I, I can, people ask sometimes what my favorite artifact is or what the coolest thing is, and really I can barely even remember it all after all these years. So many different pit houses and features and cultures and, and different archaeological sites, you know. Uh, so I worked in several different places across the country, mostly in the West. And in the West you find uh, what's different than, you know, what you find in Virginia or Illinois or somewhere else. So as a tech you get to travel around and find all that stuff. It's your job to find stuff. It's one of the last uh, jobs of being a discoverer that's left in the world. I mean, we've already discovered a lot of the stuff that's above ground. We're working on things that are underground and in space. You get to be one of the people who discovers new stuff. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't, it doesn't really get old. When it gets old, then you should think about getting out or switching companies. When it's not fun anymore, go ahead and think about bailing. But for a little while... And for most of us, many years, it's awesome to keep doing archaeology. Good point. Way to keep it positive, Bill. <laughs> I appreciate it. Yeah, I'm going to just sort of add a little more detail around what other people were saying in that mm-hmm. um, it can be a really diverse job. And when we say, you know, it depends on the project, what we were sort of saying are like, maybe the project is sort of a cemetery removal, at which point you're basically going to be digging up bodies every day. Or it could be a project doing survey. So you might just be out, well, so survey out west, a pedestrian survey. So you might just be walking along looking for artifacts. You, you spent a lot of time looking at the ground, you know, seeing if anything's there. Or you could be back east and doing shovel test pits. Mm-hmm. Um, so when we're talking about project, it's the archaeological project. And that can be really, really varied. And also something we haven't touched on is it'll depend on the company, but you could also be doing lab work. Um, I know some companies like to try to keep their crews employed as much as possible year round. And so, you know, during the summer, you know, it's spring and fall, you'll be out in the field doing field work, but then you have a lot of stuff that you've you've dug up or recorded and stuff like that. And so over the winter months, you might be inside, you know, taking a look at lithics or doing all the sort of, you know, writing up reports and stuff like that. So it can be really varied and it does differ from state to state and company to company. Um, I, I think we could probably go on for like two, three <laughs> days about like all the different possible things you could do. So yeah. the typical day-to-day job in CRM is that there is no typical day. Um, you have stuff that you might repeat more than you do other things. But yeah, especially when you're starting out, it'll be really project dependent. As you start to move mm-hmm. up higher, um, as, Son- as Sonia's mentioned, you get a lot more paperwork and that tends to be a little more steady. And often maybe maybe you become a specialist and so you just look at lithics all day or you look at pottery or you look at that part of the time. Um, so it gets a little more stable the higher up you go and the more established you become in the field. But I'd say from day one, week to week, you could be doing something completely different or you could be doing the same thing for two years straight, um, you know, digging shovel test pits and finding nothing. It's It's really hard to say there's a typical day in CRM. Mm-hmm. Uh, would you guys agree? Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah, uh, it's a it's an unconventional career. 
It's the kind of job that you have that other people will be like, holy cow, what? I can't believe he does that. You know, like I didn't mm-hmm. think anyone did that. <laughs> I mean, there's people who climb Mount Everest and there's, you know, uh, the president and there's professional athletes and there's other people who are, you know, judges or district judges. But it's one of those careers where you don't just go through college and get out and say, I get a job. And there's so many people who are going through school right now. And when they finish, they're going to say, I just want a job. And that's all that matters. Sitting in a cubicle collecting bills, that's a job. Filling gas, you know, managing a, a, a mini mart, those are all jobs. And all of those people are the ones who sacrificed what they really wanted to do so that they could get a job. Mm-hmm. If you become an archaeologist, you're not one of those people. Yeah, uh, all good points. And I, I, I pretty much agree with everything you guys said, which I think is a first on this show. But... Um, Bill, I will disagree with one thing. You can't include president anymore in unique jobs because it seems like any douchebag can get that job. But, uh, you know, <laughs> I'll just leave that there. Well, uh, hey, that's even more proof. You can be an right? archaeologist and you can even be the president. You can be a reality show, uh, you know, uh, uh, personality and become the president. That's right. So now that's not even really like that odd of a thing. Just get a fistful of cash say a whole bunch of stuff and you get to be the president, right? You don't even have to be a lawyer anymore. Before you had to be like a person with a, a JD. Now you right. can just be a guy. Nice. All right. Um, so my comments on this, I'm going to, since I do agree, I mean, you guys were all spot on with your comments. Um, I'll just get a little more nuts and bolts with it in case he's wondering. Cause it's one thing we didn't mention, which is basically like an outline of the schedule for the day. Like day to day work is like um, on the East coast. Uh, often you'll work Monday through Friday. Um, Monday morning might be spent traveling to a hotel in a city. Um, you know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of, uh, smaller work out there. And so CRM firms can, can stay generally from home, you know, the, like people work from home and they'll, they'll drive out in the morning on a Monday, stay for the week and then drive back on Friday. Um, that's more common than it's not. They, they will still hire shovel bums and you'll have to figure out where you're going to stay on the weekends. So there's that. But, uh, uh, on the West coast, uh, we often work one of a couple different schedules, either a 10 days on four days off, or, um, I've seen eight days on six days off. I even worked for one company. It's the only one I've ever heard of that did nine days on five days off where the first five days were eight hour days. And the last four days were 10 hour days. It was a very strange thing. I don't know why they did that, but it was nine on five off. It was very strange, but so, so that's the schedules you could work. And then out here in the West and really anywhere I've worked across the country, um, the typical day is you'll start at seven. You may start at different times, depending on heat and daylight and stuff like that. When we were working in the Eastern Mojave, we'd start at four o'clock in the morning sometimes because it was a two hour drive to the project area. And we wanted to be boots on the ground when the sun came up because it was a hundred million degrees by 10 o'clock in the morning. We want to be out of the field by like noon and driving home and done with our day by two. So, um, it made for a really weird day cause dinner was at like three 30 and you went to bed at eight, but you know, whatever. Um, so yeah, so you'd work those schedules, but typically I, I've seen the average in the, all the places I've worked across the country. You start your day at seven o'clock in the morning at the hotel room, at the parking lot. If you're not out there at seven o'clock, the trucks are rolling at seven. And if you're not in a truck, you're not working that day. Um, so, you know, keep that in mind because you can't drive your own vehicle out into the project area. You can't just like join it most of the time. So, um, yeah, you may, you may in fact be out of a job. A nicer company might just take your per diem back for that day. Um, but you know, a lot of companies will say you're done. Um, you, you missed the boat. So anyway, so that's it, you know, seven o'clock, you'll have a break in the morning and then you'll typically have a half hour, um, unpaid lunch. 
and then you'll have you know another several hours of work. A lot of times, uh, in fact, I would say most of the time there are exceptions. Drive time is covered, and what I mean drive drive time is drive time from the hotel to the project area and back. So your eight hour day, if it's an eight hour day, starts at the hotel and ends at the hotel, and that's eight hours. Again, there are exceptions. I worked on a big project where. We got covered on the way out into the field, but we worked until four o'clock and the hour and a half drive back was not paid. And I know there's going to be comments on that one. Um, I mean, we were getting some pretty good money for that project, so we didn't really complain about it too much. Uh, it was long-term work and it was good per diem and it was, you know, a lot of money. So I think that's why they got away with it. But uh, I think there's lots of issues with insurance and what if you get hurt in the truck on the way home and blah, 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 blah. So, um so anyway, those are my comments on the sort of uh, nuts and bolts of this. Also, for the same company, you could end up working different schedules. Um, we've been mainly talking about away work, but I worked for a company where it was the 10 days on, four days off for away work. But if it was close close enough that we weren't you know, doing per diem, we weren't living out of a, a hotel, it was a normal work week. So it was Monday through Friday. So um, on the same project, you could end up doing very different work schedules. And, you know, sometimes if the project needs to be done and it needs to be done quickly, you can end up with a lot of overtime as well. Mm -hmm. um, I remember when I was first starting out, I think one October I had two days off because essentially they, the word came down that we had to get this done or they were going to move in uh, with the bulldozers. So they offered everyone overtime. Not everyone took it, but it was, I mean, I was making lots and lots of money going overtime, but yeah. You can do that. And those are 10, 12 hour days. And so it, it will really depend on the project you're on. And, you know, even the same project, maybe they, I've been on projects that have moved, you know, really expanded crews to a lot of people and then shrunk it down and reduced the hours. Um, mm -hmm. So you could, you know, one week they could be like, hey, we need you doing 12 hours. Next week it could be like, well, uh, we actually don't have enough work for you. Um, look busy for you know the next like half day. Uh, we'll let you off half an hour early. So mm -hmm. it can really differ even on the same project. Yeah, yeah, indeed. And and that's you know that's another thing too is the different types of projects. If you're monitoring your day to day, is going to be different every time because uh, every project I should say and could be every day. Because often you're on the schedule, and most often you're on the schedule of the construction team. So if the construction team's meeting at 5 o'clock in the morning for their safety meeting, you have to be there. Uh, and then they screw around for three hours while they get all their equipment prepped and ready. Then you're standing there. And then they go out and work, and they work a 12-hour, 15-hour day. That's your day. Um, that one I was talking about where we didn't get paid drive time on the way back, that's a good example of overtime, which is why we were doing it. I was trying to pay for grad school before I went. And... Uh, they were trying to get that project finished. The three billion dollar overhead, you know, high level part of the project. We were just one tiny facet of it. They had authorized the archaeology company because it was like point zero one percent of their overall budget <laughs> was to do this massive project. Um, they uh, they had authorized unlimited overtime. So our company had authorized and said, "Listen, we're going to let you work every day if you want." They were not keeping as close eye on safety as I think they should have been. I think there should have been some. Some mandatory days off um, occasionally, <laughs> but we worked straight without taking a day off for three months. Um, I took I took one day off shortly after that uh, to go get my first iPhone. I had to drive down to Reno, drove three hours oh, through the desert to go get my God. first iPhone. Shut up, Bill. And then uh, <laughs> spoiled run. <laughs> and then, um, that you worked all those days, and you couldn't even wait like fourteen days. To no, get your phone. had to go you had get to it. Take a day off. 
took a day off, went down to Reno, got my new iPhone, and then went back to the campsite. That's what I did. What a so slacker. You guys can all I, I suck our, it. I think our next um, episode needs to be some sort of intervention. Um, <laughs> anyway, my my point on that is you can you can hit literally anything. And and the cool thing about that company was if you did if you woke up in the morning and said you know, screw this place. I need a day off. I just not going into work today. They were cool with it because if you were putting in every other day before that, you know, the, the policy was you could come in and say, I'm not coming to work today. I just need some time off. And they were, they were fine with it because we were working every single day. So, uh, with that, let's close out this segment and then we'll come back for the last segment and try to get you guys ready for the field season. Um, I'll, I'll, pull back the veil a little bit and give you the secret. You should already be working. But if you're not, we'll get you ready for the field season. Back in a second. Telling a different story to the traditional lines of archaeology, the Anarchaeologist podcast seeks the stories and ideas that are often overlooked or not considered real archaeology. Video games, anarchism, and archaeology in the middle of hostile areas. Host Tristan doesn't search under the rocks. He destroys them. Available on iTunes every fortnight. All right, we're back. And uh, I think after dealing with two segments, um, after dealing with that email, uh, you know, we got some some really good advice. Uh, some, I think, I hope Matt had all his answers, uh, all his questions answered. Um, but now we're going to kind of keep sort of riffing off that because this is what he was he was talking about is you know what's you know what what are we doing to get prepared for field work um and i think the obviously the first thing you have to do to get ready for field work is to apply for a job so you don't just go apply for a job in these places um you probably won't get one if if you don't really know what you're doing so uh we happen to have a published uh expert in the field two of them really um doug can talk about uh, pay and things like that because he's done a lot of research on that on his blog Doug's Archaeology, which is linked in the show notes. But Bill, let's start with you because you've talked a lot about uh, you know putting together resumes and CVs. What should people do? Let's just say you know you're in college right now and you want to work for the summer, or you're in you know you're you're just you're doing your master's degree and you want to do some CRM for the summer. What are the first steps people should take to get ready to uh, start looking for those kinds of jobs? Okay, so if you're a student. And you're looking for summer work. Uh, it, it's understood that you'll be going back uh, to school. So I'll just address this for people who want to make it through the summer. Uh, people who are graduating, which congratulations, you know, it's graduation graduation time. You're going to be wanting to aim for more of a longer term. So the understanding will be when you get this first bite, this first entrance into the market, you're going to try to network and and keep applying your way so that you can continue doing this afterwards. For folks who are going back to college, uh, you know, you're just going to work for the summer. You want to try to get as much experience as you can and then go back to school. So, you know, the first thing is uh, thinking about where you actually want to work. What's your like number one area of the country? What's, you know, where do you just definitely not want to work? Right. Um, so one of the places I, I never really wanted to work in the southeast that much. So I never really applied to jobs there or did a lot of focus there. So I didn't, when I was a student, I never really tried that much to go to the south Southeast. But I mean, if you just want to do anything anywhere, and it really honestly doesn't matter at all to you, then the whole country is wide open. So the, mm -hmm. the first thing is figure out where you want to go. And then the second thing is get your old Excel file out and start finding those companies and agencies and organizations that operate in that, uh, in that part of the country or those states. <clears throat> so 
uh, LinkedIn is a perfect resource because you can find agencies and uh, uh, people who work for companies all over the country. And you can literally just type in archaeologist and then the state in the search thing. Then they'll show you, you know, hundreds, dozens of people, it depends on the state, that all work in that area. So start getting a list and a feel of who's actually there. And then, you know, in some ways, you because you don't have a lot of time, you don't have time to uh, network with all these people and build the relationship that will help you get a job, but you should really start thinking about doing it right now. The next step is to look and see what jobs are actually posted. So at that point, you need to build a quality CV and a quality resume. Um, you know, I have my own specific style. I wrote a book on it and everything, but the key is to make sure that you are uh, fully addressing the job post and uh, uh, putting keywords and other terms and things that are actually in the real job post, not things that you wish you were getting or, or, or you know, that you've done in the past. Uh, mm -hmm. Stuff that's in the job post, get it all together and apply as soon as possible or definitely before the, the application date. Uh, at the same time, you want to make sure that you're applying, writing a new resume and cover letter for every single job. So you can't be just doing a generic one. That's another reason why targeting parts of the country is more useful because, you know, you're, you're still going to send out dozens of resumes, but at least they're all in places that you actually want to work, that somebody doesn't pick you up that didn't really want to work there. So then, you know, you just get, get in that whole process and, uh, I know it's kind of against the rules for you to talk to, uh, you know, government hiring managers or people who are hiring uh, for state agencies. They kind of have a non-disclosure uh, thing where a lot of times they can't talk about the jobs that they have open uh, to applicants. But CRM companies don't have that kind of thing. So if you're applying for a CRM job, start calling and trying to talk to people who are there. Once mm -hmm. again, Use what you got from LinkedIn or from the internet or wherever you got information. Learn a little bit more about that individual, maybe what they do, and maybe how you have some kind of connection to that person. You've applied to the thing through their company's uh, HR website, <clears throat> but now it's time to follow up and actually talk to people who work there and introduce yourself before they start hiring people. Tell them your situation. Tell them how you have some kind of a connection to what they do and try to create a personal connection. Because in CRM, uh, well, pretty much all jobs, it's really about personal connections. Mm -hmm. uh, so you want to try to establish a personal connection if you don't already have one there. And then, you know, you just uh, don't don't wait. Keep calling, keep applying, do not yeah. stop. Uh, as you get ready to transfer out of your, uh, you know, your house or whatever you've got, uh, make sure that whoever's back there, you're, uh, roommates or whoever's going to be watching your place, you know, your spouse, that you can make some kind of an arrangement to get money to them to keep your bills afloat so that you don't have to get all your stuff out of there. Mm -hmm. But if you do have to move, then just go ahead. You know, a lot of students, they're used to moving out at the end of the year. So, you know, move out, get your stuff out, get ready. And, and even if you do have to go back to your parents' house, don't spend a single second waiting for anyone to call you back or anything. Continue being on the hunt every day. As much as you can devote to this, you need to be trying your hardest to get a job because yeah. we were talking before about how maybe there's 20 people who are on the crew, but they're only really hiring for two. You don't know what happened to those other 18 people. They could have taken a job somewhere else. They could have gotten sick. They could have decided they're not going to work for that place. If you're the one who's calling, that means the hiring manager doesn't have to go through the folder of resumes to find someone. 
they just found someone and you have a better chance of uh, getting hired. So that's, yeah. that's kind of my tips. I mean, stay on it, get on it right now and just stay on it until you get a job. And then after you get a job, it, it, some will say maybe it's inappropriate, but the best time to look for a new job is when you already have a job. Mm-hmm. So if you have a temporary summer position, like day one, you need to be building, networking, and continuing this the you know push to continue and leverage what you just learned at this employer to get your next job. And you need to continue doing that until you have a permanent position. Yeah, absolutely. Those are all great tips. And uh, I would certainly go over to Bill's um, Succinct Research website and uh, look at some of his books and things like that because um, he's got all the information right there. And also head over to arcpodnet.com forward slash podcast and use the search bar on the right. Just type in jobs. It's kind of amazing. Um, actually, you can go to the main page of the APN, type in jobs in the search bar at the top, and that will search all of our podcasts because we actually have a lot of podcasts on jobs um, from different uh, from different outlets. Yeah, just real fast. I know a lot of people will take my words to heart. and They'll be calling every single day. <laughs> Don't call every single day. Uh, you should be, hypothetically, you'll be applying to many different employers if you don't have a job. That same Excel list, set mm-hmm. up a schedule and, and don't call more than once every other week, right? Right. Because if you're calling every single day, then they're definitely not, not going to want to hire you. But, you know, manage it. Try to, you know, email or touch bases every other week till they say, buzz off. We don't have anything coming up for, you know, X amount of months. And then note that in your Excel sheet. They don't have anything coming up for seven months. Or don't call back, you know, or they just don't like you anymore. But I'm telling you, if you if you keep up in a non-annoying way, yeah. just touching bases saying, hey, I still don't have a job yet. Um, just touching bases, hey, how's it going? Okay, well, I'll talk to you, you know, next month or mm-hmm. in three weeks or something like that. Well, there, there are a few common, like, um, ethnographic techniques you can employ in that as well. Like the first conversation you have with somebody Make it not just about jobs. I mean, obviously, you have to tell them why you called. Say, hey, I saw a post or, you know, I saw you guys are a company and, you know, just kind of giving you my name and, and put my name out there and and uh, and talking to you about, but what kind of stuff do you guys do? And then start a conversation. If they might talk about a project and, you know, pick up on that and then call them back in a couple of weeks and say, hey, I was thinking about this project you're on and this um, people you're working with and this prehistoric thing. And I read this article about this. You know, uh, oh, by the way, do you guys have any field work coming up? You know, something like that. Don't make it all about the field work. You know, make them, put them at ease and make them the star of the conversation, not you. Otherwise, they'll just think you're annoying. <laughs> um, Sonia, you are an employer. Um, you yeah. have employees. You've got field work coming up. You've been doing field work. Um, what are you yep. looking for? If somebody were to send you a CV, what causes you to put it in the, the, the maybe pile versus the round file? Well, uh, if the job post says, send me a resume or Vita, <laughs> resumes, or read sorry, the job resume post? or Vita, <laughs> yeah, read the freaking job post. If it says, send me a resume and Vita, references, cover letter, and a writing sample, <laughs> send all four of those things. Mm-hmm. If you don't send all four of those things, I look at it and I go, okay, missing details, not able to follow direction. Doesn't necessarily mean you're not going to get offered a position, but it does mean that you may get bumped down. Yeah, on it's, the the, it's the green M&M's clause. I'm sure a lot of people have heard of that, you know, yeah, that yeah. that band. What was it like some high? I can't remember who it was. They put it in their in their contract for the for the uh, companies that set up their 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 massive effect shows for their concerts. And they said, oh, you know, one line, we want a bowl of all green M&M's or something like that in the, you know, gr- in the green room. And it wasn't done. And they knew that the people hadn't read the contract and they weren't going to be able to uh, to do their thing. So, you know, yeah. 
I mean, following direction directions just for our job post is the very first step. Yeah. I mean, it, it, we, we look at that as employers and we go, okay, is this person actually going to be able to pay attention mm-hmm. and follow direction as, as the job moves on? You know, and, and I, I, I got to say, um, it speaks to uh, your level of experience and your, uh, your attention to detail. Um, so just keep that in mind. Mm-hmm. Um, and as, as Bill was saying earlier, you can follow up, just don't be annoying. <laughs> if you start following up on a, day, on a daily or a weekly basis, it starts getting annoying. If I start seeing things flying around, uh, so-and-so is looking for a job, um, I need, I mean, they're, they're desperate for work. I get that. You mm-hmm. know, I've been in your place. Don't be annoying about it, though. Um, so, so just you can follow up be friendly uh, just space it out a little bit because yeah. keep in mind that we get hundreds of resumes every season whether they're solicited or not right um, and uh, if I've got a hundred people following up with me on a daily or weekly basis that's a lot of emails mm-hmm. <laughs> so um, uh, second make sure you're fit for the job um, and when I say a good fit, I don't just mean like uh, in terms of your skill level, but also your ability to be able to do the job. When the job says you must be able to walk 10 miles, you must be able to carry 30 to 40 pounds on your back for a course of 10 hours over 10 days, there's a reason why that's posted in that job announcement because you need to be able to be fit for the job to do it, okay? And uh, I, I mean, I know this is risky to say, but if it's posted in the job announcement, you can get laid off if you physically cannot get do the, uh, cannot do the work. Okay, so remember that. Mm-hmm. Be aware of these things. Um, what you're signing up for. Be aware of what uh, what um, what the the pay is. If you're applying for a field tech position that's that's you know seventeen to eighteen dollars an hour, don't call me and say you want eighty thousand dollars a year <laughs> as a field technician. It's not going to happen. Has that happened to me? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I have gotten applicants for field techs say no, I want eighty thousand dollars a year plus benefits. Right. All right. Well, uh, I hear ya. You do know what position you applied for, right? So keep that in mind. I, I want that um, too, but I'm good, not going to call you for it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't even get paid that, sweetie. Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, make sure you have a good attitude. Um, words, ab- the the word about different crews and individuals on crews travels around. We talk. Business owners and senior managers talk to one another, whether we're competitors or not. We do talk to one another, and um, you know, I I had one uh, one. Um, person who is a good friend of mine say, hey, I had this one crew member say this, 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 and this. And I say, hmm, that's interesting. Was that crew member's name A, B, or C? Mm-hmm. And uh, and he's like, I can neither confirm nor deny that, which basically to me means, hmm, we might be getting the same crew, uh, crew members applying. Yeah. Make sure you have a good attitude. Watch what you say to your crews. Be respectful to people. Um, on your cruise, um, and uh, um, be be able to go the extra mile as mm-hmm. well. Um, if you're like, oh crap, you know it's starting to drizzle out. We need to we need to go. We need to get out of here. Yeah. Well, it it is just drizzling. Um, there's not lightning and thunder around yet. <laughs> so so let's <laughs> let's be aware of that. Um, your experience. Be honest about your experience. Um, Everybody's got something to learn in the field, and nobody knows everything, including me 
or Chris. And mm-hmm. we know Chris likes, he knows a lot. Um, <laughs> But uh, be honest about your experience. If you tell me that you know how to use a Trimble GPS unit and I hand you a Trimble GPS unit and a week later I have 500 files in it, each with one set of points, (laughs) it tells me you don't know how to use a Trimble GPS unit. Right. Okay. So just be honest. I'd rather know in advance so that I can give you a little more training ahead of time Mm -hmm. than uh, have to clean up the mess at the very end. Right. And then, you know, we we want you to have... um, the ability to work independently, but also as a group, um, as a team. So uh, archaeologists tend to be larger, largely introverted, um, even though we do have some, we can get along well uh, with one another. We tend to be a little introverted and we like to recharge on our own and, and uh, work alone. Uh, but, but we also need to be able to work well together as a team and communicate with one another. Mm-hmm. So, um, just uh, when you apply for a job, tell them, you know, you can work independently. You have the skills to be able to do that, but you can also work as a team member. You, you are on a team trying to accomplish a single goal, and that goal is to complete the project on time, on budget, within the scope of the work that's being done, okay? Mm-hmm. And then also be able to take care of yourself um, as well. You know, make sure you get ample sleep at night, make sure you're eating healthy, uh, or as healthy as you can, given the conditions. Um, if you if if you need transportation from your home base, from your home to the project area, there's a good chance a company's not going to be able to accommodate you. Um, so make sure you're able to get to where you need to go. You need to be able to get up and be there on time. Um, uh, do the work. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, this this could sound awfully negative, but you know what? Um, this is, this is, these are actually really great responsible things that, that adults making a valid contribution to, uh, uh, archeology span and the world in general, uh, mm-hmm. have together. So, and no, yeah. daily chorizo burritos with cheese are not necessarily <laughs> a healthy choice. Bill. <laughs> yeah. Nice. All right. Well, we are, we are just about out of time. Um, with that, I'm going to say something that I, that I forgot to mention. We were talking about other food earlier. I knew a guy that liked to get from the Maverick station in uh, Northern Nevada here. He would get, uh, chicken, chicken breasts. I think like the, the, um, fried chicken breasts in the morning, he would get these and then he would take the skins off of them and have them in milk in a bowl. (laughs) I don't know. That, that rules. Yeah, I'm just saying. Yeah, that's uh, that was his deal. Um, I knew a guy who was trying to save for a car for his family, so he always brought the breakfast from the hotel for his yeah. lunch. So there were many times in December and January where he had coagulated biscuits and gravy <laughs> uh, to eat for lunch, cold. At least set it on the at least set it on the engine block. His his mantra was it tastes it has my favorite taste it tastes like the favorite thing the thing I love most free, <laughs> free. <laughs> nice that this is tastes a, free I'm that, eating it that is a flavor you learn to love actually um, all right so we are out of time Matt I hope I answered all your questions I mean hope we answered all your questions um, you know we we got them all in everybody please. Send in more questions, and we'll deal with those um, as they come in because that's kind of what we like doing, um, and we'll we'll get it going. So if you have anything else, you can leave us a comment. Um, you can comment on this episode. Again, this comes out, and it should be April 26th when you're hearing this or later. 
So hopefully you've already got a job, but if you don't and you need some help with that, feel free to email us. Um, especially Bill and I, we're, we're more than happy to talk about that and the others as well. Their contact information is in the uh, in the show notes. So with that, um, we'll call this, uh, call this episode done and uh, have a great and safe field season. Thanks to everyone for joining me this week. Thanks also to the listeners for tuning in, and we'll see you in the field. Goodbye. Bye. Bye. See ya. Goodbye. Wow. Notice how we just give you your silence? <laughs> I just mute my mic every time and laugh until he does it. <laughs> nice. Uh... That's it for another episode of the CRM Archaeology Podcast. Links to some of the items mentioned on the show are in the show notes for this podcast, which can be found at www.archaeologypodcastnetwork.com forward slash podcast. If you like the show and want to comment, please do. You can leave comments about this or any other episode on the website or on the iTunes page for the episode. You can also email me at chris at archaeologypodcastnetwork.com or use the contact form on the podcast webpage. If you'd like us to answer a question on a future episode, email us. Use the contact form on the website or tweet your questions with the hashtag podcast podcast or you can tag at arcpodnet in your tweet please share the link to the show wherever you saw it if you share crm archaeology related items on twitter or facebook or anywhere else for that matter be sure to use the hashtag crm so the community can see and comment if you'd like to subscribe to this podcast you can do so on itunes or on stitcher radio you can also type the name of the podcast into your favorite podcasting app and subscribe that way don't forget to go over to itunes and leave a review of the show it helps us get noticed so more people can find our podcast and benefit from the content Also, send us show suggestions and interview suggestions. We want this to be a resource for field technicians everywhere, and we want to know what you want to know about. Also, please consider donating to the Archaeology Podcast Network. Your donations help fund our bandwidth and contribute to our editing costs. This show is produced by Chris Webster and Tristan Boyle and edited by Chris Sims. This has been a presentation of the Archaeology Podcast Network. Visit us on the web for show notes and other podcasts at www.archaeologypodcastnetwork.com. Contact us at chris at archaeologypodcastnetwork.com. I just wanted to say real fast, not related, my wife knows that I'm recording the podcast in here, so she... put my breakfast on a little plate and left it outside the door (laughs) and then texted me and was like your breakfast is here just how you like it prison style on the floor that's (laughs) awesome (laughs) some other lady i'm impressed that she gave you breakfast (laughs) well I, i started making it and that's when i was like I texted you guys like, oh, wait a minute. Are we recording in five minutes? And then I was like, honey, uh, by the way, you have to help me finish breakfast slash do it. (laughs) Slash do it. (laughs) Thanks again for listening to this episode and for supporting the Archaeology Podcast Network. If you want these shows to keep going, consider becoming a member for just $7.99 US dollars a month. That's cheaper than a venti quad eggnog latte. Go to arcpodnet.com slash members for more info.